Hello again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. We are here to chat all about the wonders of sex, sexuality, and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, trans rights, and of course, me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack as it really does help to keep the mics on or please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to reach out to me, you can DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast. So today I'm talking about something that I actually think affects quite a lot more people than are open about it. But of course, as with lots of things around sex, the element of shame keeps people very silent. And we are not here to talk about shame in this podcast. We are here to bust shame. So today my guest is Reese Malone and he's going to chat to us all about the wonderful world of erectile dysfunction. So based out of Winnipeg in Canada, Dr. Reese Malone, and he goes by his pronouns here, he and him, he holds a master's of public health and a doctorate of human sexuality. He is an award-winning certified sex therapist, board-certified sexologist, and certified sexuality education supervisor. He's an adjunct professor at Antioch University, Seattle, couple and family therapy department. He's the CEO and founder of Sexuality Consultants and Support Services, Mantoba Inc., serving individuals and relationships throughout North America through clinical practice and offering online programs. As an advocate for sexual health and comprehensive human sexuality education, he often contributes to public health campaigns, delivers education and training, as well as provides consultation on sexual health policy and programming. And his therapeutic practice centers client collaboration and creating an environment for individuals and relationships to be understood, valued and respected, as they should be. Reese, thank you so much for joining me. How are you all the way over in Canada? Thanks for, first of all, thanks for having me. You know, I am... I'm well, you know, Canada um, is uh, a mosaic of, of individuals as well as a mosaic of different weathers and climates. And right now um, it snowed a couple of days ago. We had about 10 centimeters of snow also about a week ago. And hopefully that's it for now. But we're all, you know, you know in our world um, in our pandemic and everything that we are enduring right now, we're we're surviving and we're, we're all doing the best that we can. And I'm very, very grateful that I'm still able to work and, and uh, work with clients and also still continue with training consultations. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, I, I, I definitely hear you anyway in the four weather is one thing kind of thing, because that's Irish weather. We just, we get snow and hail, sun and sun all in, all in the same day. So um, that's yeah. fab. And that's great that you're able to work the joy of Zoom, I suppose, uh, you know, brings everything mm-hmm. online. And I'm really glad that people who are in crisis or just need a little bit of support have options available to, to them Absolutely. via Zoom, which is fantastic to see. Um, yeah. you, you work on, on lots of different areas, but today we're, we're focusing on the area of erectile dysfunction. I think mm-hmm. this is way more common than, than we know because people don't necessarily speak up about it and suffer in silence. Do you have any mm-hmm. kind of stats mm-hmm. or figures about, about how many people would experience mm-hmm. this? Sure. Here's what I say to every single client that I work with. If you have a penis, you are vulnerable to what I call erectile stress. And especially when we're talking about, even though, you know, we're busting shame, part of, you know, people's um, 
um, concerns and their criticalness of their body uh, rooted in shame affects their ability or can affect their ability to um, experience uh, or sustain an erection. So as long as you have a penis, you are at risk uh, for erectile stress that affects the hardness of your penis. But there are some, there's data that indicates that the older that we get, that um, it, it goes hand in hand with the risk, risk factors as well as statistics of who um, experiences uh, erectile dysfunction or stress. For example, um, if you are age 40 and above that you're at 40% of uh, those who are 40 um, are at risk for higher experiences of erectile dysfunction. If you're 50, it's 50%, 60%, 60%, and so forth. Okay, that's a nice, easy way to remember the statistics. That's kind of handy, but way more yeah. common then. So, you know, 40% of 40 year olds, like 40 isn't that old nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the end mm -hmm. of your life or anything like that, but 40 is, mm -hmm. that's, that's really high. And, and then maybe, maybe we might expect that as we get older, but someone mm -hmm. in their twenties or even teenagers or, you know, mm -hmm. people in their thirties, they would experience it as well, but there seems to yeah. be more of a, in, in understanding that, oh, this shouldn't be happening to me because that only happens to old people, you know, maybe right. that stereotype. Yeah. And there's that, you know, Carolyn, you and I know there's that, um, you know, lack of comprehensive sexuality education, how the bodies operate and those with penises um, and depending on um, their, um, their gender, their relationship to culture, that their relationship with their penises are very, very different. And so I think the more that we can debunk the fact that bodies operate differently amongst different con con conditions and stressors, and all of it is okay. And all of it is um, not to be ashamed of. Uh, and it's also unfortunate, it goes hand in hand, even with our culture that even, you know, when I talk to, you know, a number of clients who go to their doctors or their, their nurses or their urologists, that they too have discomforts around talking about genitals. And so there's this, unfortunately, this um, vast system of, of sex negativity and lack of understanding how the body operates and all the factors that impact erection quality for people. Yeah, but I just really want to emphasize, let's normalize that our bodies and those who have penises are going to experience throughout a lifetime of different rigidities sometimes not. And we just need to look at all the systemic uh, factors. It's not just age. It's not about illness or injury. There's so many other factors that um, impact our bodies and our genitals. Yeah. And I think, you know, vulvas are talked about a lot more and, and, you know, with things like menopause and stuff, it's like, oh, we know that vaginal dryness is a mm -hmm. thing. It's part of menopause and there's, you know, ways and means around that. And that that's slightly more of an open conversation. But for penises, it's like just silence for, for the most part. People just don't right. talk about it. And do you think it's like it's so wrapped up in like, this is what it means to be a man, you know, and, and like your worth is in your genitals, that kind of approach. Absolutely. I mean, if we look culturally, you know, that penises are symbolic of masculinity and penises are, and, and masculinity is symbolic of your identity. And we are predisposed to compare, 
you know, we, we are comparative creatures and because penises are so visible uh, and um, no one's talking about the um, diversity of penis sizes, of penis textures, of softness, hardnesses, um, average lengths um, that are, you know, again, all very normal and healthy, that individuals are left to their own devices on what they may deem for themselves as healthy and normal, which then have impacts to their own self-esteem, self-worth, and identity. And um, it's not just men who, you know, um, put a lot of value to the penis. It's also their partners across genders, across, you know, this whole spectrum of gender that if the penis doesn't operate in a certain way, that people take this very, very personally, especially the partners where the penis just isn't, you know, it's just not cooperating the way you want it to in that moment. It's like a sign that like, oh, they're not attracted to me if they can't have an erection yeah. or something. And it's not necessarily about you mm. at all. It's just biology mm. sometimes. It's biology. It's, you know, I, I often, you know, um, do lots of um, education with, with couples, um, with cis women as well about the, how penises operate, that this isn't about um, that individual. And if we look at penises, and this is what I also say to those with penises, is that if we look at penises um, as a barometer, as an indicator of what's happening in your life, that if you're, if you're having penis stress, penis troubles, well, let's take a step back and let's take a kind of a systemic view of everything from your physical health, your mental health, your relational health, your relationship with culture. And when I say even those with penises, I'm also talking about trans women with penises, uh, those who are trans men who have um, gender affirming surgeries, who have phalloplasties and building relationships with the penis as well. And so, you know, and again, this is the diversity of relationships with penises, but all kind of part of the pun point to the same thing, which is many of us are so wrapped up in our sexual identity and sexual worth with that one part of the body. And that's, yeah. that's really stressful. It's really, really stressful. It's hard. Yeah. So it's a lot of pressure. And if the only definition mm. we have of say sex is it's a penis penetrating, whatever orifice is, it's penetrating. That's a lot mm. of pressure because for a lot of people, that means if the penis isn't working, there is no sex. And that's a, part of yeah. massive part of like sex education of we were not teaching people that sex is mm -hmm. many things there doesn't even have to be a penis involved or you know used right. in the in the process as well but I like that you, you're saying there yeah as well about you know for trans people and I wonder um do they get a lot of education going mm -hmm. through the surgical process of like hey like you know erectile dysfunction might be in your future now or or anything mm -hmm. like that would you know anything about that if, if they get the, the heads mm -hmm. up i suppose again no pun intended right. <laughs> gosh in our business carolyn like there's just so, <laughs> yeah. so many puns um that you know this is really you know this is also very interesting because you know the relationship trans women relationship with her penis um and how people consume her penis let's just say or how she uses her penis also how uh, trans men navigate what it means now to have a penis and what does that mean for their identity. So um, in terms of education, you know, there's what, the good thing about the internet is that um, there are 
a lot more accessible resources in terms of, you know, the impacts of hormone, you know, um, hormone replacement therapies on um, the functions of penises for trans women, and also different options for trans men when it comes to um, um, experiencing um, a, a nice firm erection. Although the technology is still, the medical technology is still evolving with trans men and um, phalluses and penises, that it's hard enough for penetration. And also with technology and, and science, how there are nerve sparing types of surgeries that trans men um, can start feeling the sensation of penetration and oral sex and masturbation with their penis. And you know, with some trans men that I work with, at for, first, you know, when nerves are are trying to fire up and and learn the relationship with each other, it can feel um, discomforting uh, to painful. But then we start to train the nerves to experience um, pleasure and and different types of sensation um, to experience pleasure in different kinds of ways. But look, can I go back to something that you said, I think is really sure. important, Carolyn, is that, you know, this idea that um, sex is only taught one way. And the painful struggles that I hear, especially with, um, let's say, um, cisgender heterosexual couples who only know one way of having sex and they're married in monogamous relationship for 30 years plus, and then something happens to his penis for whatever reason. And the, the, the emotional pain that the both of them experience and the grief that they experience, because it is just so um, reinforced that this is the only way and any other way isn't good enough. So to unpack all that over decades of history and decades of habitual types of sexual expressions, you know, most of my time with couples is not about penis function. It's about the relationship with penis function because we can start to do that education with individuals and relationships and you can learn all that from the internet and reading books. But the hardest part I find is how do we re-shift our relationship to our genitals? And how do we um, demarcate or undo, let's just say, the hierarchy of pleasure? Mm, I like that expression. Yeah. Like yeah. And that's, and that's the time. That's the time in therapy, the deep introspective um, grief work that I do with people, but also... Um, shift, help to facilitate shifting people to celebrating the opportunities that are yet to be experienced, the sexual potential that people have, that just because a penis may be flaccid, it doesn't mean that you can't use it. It's like the penis goes down. It's like, it's, it's like game over for some folks. It's like, it's like out of the picture. I'm thinking, why would you say something like that? You could still use the penis. You could still, you know, rub the penis all over your partner's body and have it kissed and licked and sucked. And you still have the nerve sensations on the skin. And if you could tune into the pleasure of the sensation and slow things down, that A, if it is um, erectile stress or dysfunction based on stress and anxiety that you might be able to 
and with practice, experience erection, even though the erection goes down and that's okay. And I say, think about it with your, you know, female partner with a, you know, um, with a vagina and wetness. We don't stigmatize people with vaginas who reach out for the lube. We don't stigmatize, but we stigmatize when the penis goes down. And as soon as I say that, something starts to shift in the thinking about the double standards that happen in the bedroom for couples. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And and there's that pressure of like, okay, well, then we're not having sex, so we'll, we'll give up then. And yeah, it, it, it's absolutely, mm. lube is seen as like, that will help the vulva or in the vagina along, but you're going, okay, but like, we need to also look at the, the penis aspect of things as well. And mm. I know... You know, erectile dysfunction is such a massive area and I think people are co- kind of confused about what it is sometimes of like, say, um, there's a younger person and they've been out drinking and they go back for a good night out and, you know, try and have sex and it just doesn't work. And it's like, that's not necessarily erectile dysfunction. That's perhaps just too many shots at the bar. That's not like a problem as such, right? That's not, that's only a, right. a, a temporary kind of thing. Yeah. You know what? Maybe it's a good idea for us to start talking about, you know, how lifestyle, you know, lifestyle factors, but also how the penis actually operates. And a lot of folks don't know. And I'll, I'll ask the fellas, I'm like, who gave you penis education? What do you know about penises? Can you tell me the parts of the penises other than the, you know, the balls and the head? And so I'll start using language. And they, you know, some of them, like, they, don't, they don't know what a corona is. They don't know what a frenulum is. I'm thinking, oh, you know, so let's start there. Let's start there. You know, let's start with understanding how um, the factors that allow blood to enter into the um, corpora or the corpus spongiosum, which is which are two uh, and of the cylinders, as well as the um, or sorry the cavernosa and the spongiosum, which are the three cylinders in the penis. And so let's do if I could do a little bit with your audience, right? And just a little bit of very very basic penis education. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's can we go start for it? Yeah, because we don't penis even get education. it. Yeah, penis education 101, that there are three cylinders fill out with blood. And these arteries uh, are aligned with um, smooth muscle, a combination of smooth muscle as well as collagen. And what impacts the flow of blood is a number of chemicals, specifically nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is an, um, an antioxidant because oxidation in our cells, as soon as we're born, we, we are susceptible oxidation and that's kind of what ages us. And so we hear about um, um, antioxidants that are um, combat free radicals and these free radicals that enter into, the, into our system, that's actually what impacts the um, the response of the the muscles. And so uh, with nitric oxide, right, um, that regulates the flow in and out of the penis, we need to look at all the factors that prohibit nitric oxide. And so when we think about things like alcohol, right, um, things that, um, you know, use smoking, which impacts blood pressure, all of these factors are going to impact temporarily or permanently, depending on the circumstance, um, your erection quality. So alcohol can be a prohibitor to um, um, and can break down, essentially break down nitric oxide that is going to inhibit the blood going into the penis. 
right? But over time, we need to think about how free radicals are in our body. And that just part of the aging process is going to affect the, the quality of the rigidity of the penis. So there's 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 that. Um, there, we also look at factors like stress. So here's a kind of a negative feedback loop. We have a fella who is drinking alcohol and he doesn't, re, doesn't realize that alcohol impacts, especially after two um, drinks of alcohol, particularly hard alcohol like whiskey um, can impact erection quality. He may not necessarily feel like having sex, but feels that he needs to have sex as part of his identity. So right there, um, his psychological um, desire is not at its fullest. He has alcohol in his system, which impedes blood flow. He can't get his erection up because now he's worried that he can't because he's not really into it or into the situation or into his partner. He then is so focused on his penis and worries that um, adrenaline and cortisol now start to um, um, flow through his bodies and adrenaline and cortisol, specifically adrenaline are antecedent or boner killers actually. So the when we talk about performance anxiety, the worry, it's really, it's the worry, but then the impacts of that is adrenaline. Mm. And adre once we got adrenaline, it's like how, because adrenaline is used for us to go away, to run away. You know, these are kind of, you know, from getting eaten by the, the tiger, right? So the, the, um, the, the vessels in the penis are going to um, be impacted because all the blood is going to be focused on the major parts of our organs that are trying to survive from the tiger, like our, our heart and our spleen and our kidneys, all that stuff is much more important, but the, but the penis can't differentiate between the tiger and the purse and the pressure to just quote unquote perform culturally. The penis can't tell. It just knows that there's adrenaline. So now we're looking at this, let's say 24 year old guy, right? Not into the partner has alcohol worries now has cortisol and adrenaline um, running through the system, difficulty with penises, can't get up, then feels badly and might trigger a shame spiral. So now we're talking about other things outside of the bedroom. And then the next time he has sex, the worry starts over again, because now he's drawing upon a previous experience. He drawing upon experience, and he's not thinking about these other factors that, that I just mentioned. So then even more adrenaline and more cortisol because he's too afraid of messing up, which then impacts on his sense of identity, right? So That's now- a hard cycle to even begin to start getting out so, of. Wow. Yeah, but we do this in therapy. You know, we unpack all this and we look at um, what is going on in this person's world so I consider myself as what's called a systemic sex therapist. We look at all the things, you know, from um, the body, psychology, relationship, culture. And as soon as he has some penis education and he gives himself permission that sex doesn't equate to or how often he has sex, who he has sex with, has very little to do with his, his identity or his masculinity. Yes, I think that's, if that's he really give himself, important. Yeah. So if he can give himself permission with all the information that he's receiving to say then, give himself self-permission self to even say no it, to have sex when he's not feeling like it. Like why have intercourse if you're not feeling like it? 
I'll literally ask that of the guys. I'll, you know, and I said, why, why do you feel that you need to? And the first answer is, I don't know. L- literally, that's all, you know, 80%. Why do you feel you need to? I don't know. Bec- and, and then the, usually the next answer is, I don't want to disappoint my partner. But there's a lesson about consent in there as well. Like, like we talk so much about consent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in so many different aspects. But if someone is feeling like I have to have sex to not disappoint someone, that's that's not consensual sex really either. Like in the truest sense of the word, that's still pressure, you know, wh- whether that's from the partner or from society, from themselves. Like that's that's just not a happy, fun, consensual sexual experience. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that comes into it there. And- this is what I appreciate what you just said is that there's these nuances of consent. And we think about consent in maybe a, a few particular ways. But if we're not feeling it and we're doing it anyways, or we're trying to make ourselves do it, make ourselves want it, are we, if we're saying, you know, yes to another person, we're actually saying no to our own values of consent. And so I, you know, I try to teach the language that if we keep saying no when we don't want to, regardless of your gender, then we're saying no to us. And what is that going to do for your identity? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a, it sounds so simple when you're saying it, but I think that's something mm. that people need to sit with sometimes and really think about what that means um, yeah. for them. And, and like you said, all the nuanced forms. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. T- talk to me about porn. We're not, we're not anti-porn on the podcast, but we do recognize there's issues, yeah. you know, with the industry, like any industry, mm-hmm. like music or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the blame gets laid at the door of porn for erectile dysfunction. And I feel like sometimes that's, it's a mm-hmm. kind of lazy scapegoat sometimes rather than like you said, deal with societal mm-hmm. issues your your mental health your all all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff it's very easy to go oh porn's the problem and that's yeah. not like to disavow porn of any responsibility and stuff but it just seems like it's t- mm-hmm. people go to it too quick i think maybe yeah you know thanks for bringing up, up porn you know um the first thing i i talk about with those who come to therapy and they self-brand themselves as porn addicts and erectile dysfunction porn addicts, okay? Um, and that, you know, that's that's hard to hear even as a therapist because there's this, this self-stigma, it's a self-branding. And uh, here's what's also interesting is that when I, when I um, encounter specifically men, so let's just talk about cisgender men for a moment, who say this, it, they're often in a configuration of a relationship. When they're single, and they're just hooking up. They're, they don't feel distress around their porn use. They often don't feel distress around their porn use. And, um, but then there's a worry, you know, uh, it, it, there's some confusion around it. So we talk about porn literacy. And I um, invite individuals to Google porn literacy to start to understand your personal relationship and sexual relationship with sexual media of any kind that you're consuming, whether it's visual, audio, um, reading, etc. So we start there. But we also then talk about um, your relationship, because again, most likely, we're talking about that someone's complaining or feeling concerned. Um, someone feels usually the partner feels that they're in competition with the porn. That's why their partner can't get it up for them. But this is where it's, I think it's really fundamental to take a look at the dynamics and the predisposing factors that's happening in that relationship. 
And typically he's watching porn before he met the partner and didn't have any concerns with it. And so, um, or has had another relationship with another partner, still consumed and watched porn and didn't have any concerns with it. And so if we were just to pause the porn from when we start talking about things like um, self-soothing, you know, why do you um, reach out to porn? Do you have any other, what is your relationship? Again, what is the relationship with porn? But I also go into what I call kind of a porn intake, which is I want to know the nuances of porn because some people watch porn because especially if, let's say, for example, if they are queer or they're they are LGBT and can't find other sexual outlets or people like them sexually. This is porn is one really great, can be an educative way. Porn can be a a source of education for folks in terms of fantasy and it can be titillating for other people to help to the arousal. I mean, let's, let's, you know, I said, you know, I I speak quite frank and openly with folks and said, let's look at, you know, what's the, the purpose of porn? You know, the purpose of porn at the end of the day is entertainment. It's not a human being. And the purpose of porn is for us to, from a very compartmental place, to experience a kind of feeling and emotion. Like we would go to the movies, watch a film, to be scared, to cry, to laugh. But when it comes to the feelings of arousal, there's a whole stigma around that for whatever reason. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate. So we start to unpack that and to debunk pornography use and consumption. And then we go into, um, you know, the whole purpose is for us to feel excited, right? And when we feel excited, we're going to touch, sexually excited, we're going to touch our genitals with our hand or with a toy or something else, or we'll rub rub up against, however we masturbate, which is all fine, which is another thing, which we do need to talk about in terms of erectile stress and dysfunction and masturbation always space styles. to talk about masturbation on this podcast yeah. so yeah we, we'll i love get talking to about masturbation styles <laughs> and so you know i i prefer you know if we just pause the porn discussion and talk about your grip let's talk about like how you know um how used to you are how used to one way or two ways of masturbating which might not translate into your relationship when it comes to in, um, intercourse i just was working with a, a client yesterday and he's struggling you know, with this subject, and we're we're working through um, training his penis to experience erection different kinds of ways. But once we really got to the nitty gritty, you know, the way that he masturbates, it's not about the porn; it's the way that he masturbates. And so, it's not going to feel like his. You know, he's so used to masturbating on his back and with his legs closed. Which, and I said, if your partner's favorite position is doggy, your legs are open and you're on your knees. And you're, the way you masturbate isn't with your hand around your penis, but you're, 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 you're cupping yourself in a certain kind of way. How is that to translate into a vaginal vault or the vagina? Especially when your nerves around, you know, we call the kind of this kind of body. Think about um, with the penis, again, a little bit of penis education that um, there, there is a nerve, a central nerve um, that branches out. Think of it like a tree. There's a, a main tree and then these different kind of arteries and nerves, or, let's just, or sorry, nerves that have different names. And that if those nerves are just so used to, you know, experiencing a certain kind of feeling one kind of way, that even if you're, and the same thing I say with cis women, is that if you're masturbating with your legs open versus legs closed, you're going to experience your orgasm in a very different way. 
So we start to unpack this and, and he starts to realize, gosh, you know, you're, you're right. It's not about the pornography. I need to talk about this with my partner, but my partner, typically female, feels really, really threatened because I am watching other women, but then this is an opportunity for, for me to work with the female partner about um, um, female sexual empowerment, body image, all those other messages where she's comparing herself. Again, there we go. We're so predisposed to comparing. So this is a whole system. This isn't about, you know, I, is there such thing though? I mean, you know, is there such thing as, you know, erectile, you know, porn induced erectile dysfunction? Um, I tend to lean in the direction of no and lean more into the direction of let's actually unpack all the parts that's going on and not direct our attention to blaming pornography. And, and see that that's what happens it's like it's very easy to say that in a tweet or something rather than going mm-hmm. well actually it's cultural standards and you know history and penis education and all that kind of stuff it's like sex is complicated and what I always say to you know my students and listeners is like stay away from the people who tell you sex is really simple like it's you know oh here's the answer <laughs> for this it's easy it's it's not and you know we have yeah. like intergenerational trauma intergenerational shame especially Absolutely. in Ireland and and so yeah. much complexity that if sex if you could squeeze sex down into one very little simple sentence uh, that sentence might not be the most accurate of sentences just because there's Mm -hmm. so many moving parts you know no pun intended again all going at the same time and yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's way more complex than than that so yeah yeah you're right I, I like to you know in terms of um sex literacy you know start using the language that you know, and I, and I, you sometimes, depending on the individuals in front of me, I'll, I'll ask to pause the word sex because the mind is just automatic into intercourse. So can we use language in our sessions that doesn't use the word sex, but we talk about pleasure. We talk about um, sensual expression, affectionate, romantic, um, um, erotic, like erotic, all those words instead. Yeah. So I know exactly, and you both know exactly what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, like you said earlier, it opens up mm-hmm. your mind then of going, oh, well, maybe I can have more sex that isn't just penetration with a penis because there's so much more to our bodies and, and mm-hmm. our sexual lives than that aspect of things. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. interesting. But I, I think one of the uh, I suppose one of the things that annoys me sometimes about Viagra is that, well, first of all, it, it's now free over the counter here, which is great for, for people, but we still don't have a lot of um, medication for vulvas over the counter. So I'm annoyed at that bit and birth control. But mm-hmm. outside outside of my little rant there, I think a lot of older couples are like, oh, you can just get a Viagra and, and then everything's grand again. And like you're saying, they're missing out on the fact that sex can be so many different things. But do you think right. again, Viagra is like, oh, that's an easy solution. Take a little blue pill and then there we go. And we're all okay again. And I think that seems yeah. too easy and too simple. It's too easy, too simple. And Viagra isn't, whether it's Viagra or Cialis or Levitra, you know, Staxin, all these medications, they actually are ineffective if we don't have the other um, ingredients that it's, you know, people treat Viagra almost like a, like a desire pill. And 
they, even if they're not into it, I'll just pop a Viagra. Well, you know, if you're not into it, the, you know, the, the Viagra is actually not going to work and it's not sustainable. And my concern for individuals is that they're going to rely on Viagra or Cialis when they're not necessarily addressing the core roots of what's happening for them in their relationship. So I have individuals who are like, I've tried Viagra and doesn't work. And so my doctor sent me over to see you. But the doctor didn't ask things like mental health. They don't ask things like um, uh, your relationship. They don't uh, talk about things like um, even, you know, if you're an athlete who sits on a bicycle seat, a hard bicycle seat, and then your, your balls and your, your penis gets numb. You know what I mean? Temporarily, right? So I just want to also say that. Or they don't talk to their um, clients or their patients about um, medications that impact desire, right? Without the desire, then the you know then the the penis finds it more difficult to get hard. And so if he's using things like you know there is a medication called Propecia uh, for hair hair thickeners but the side effects is low desire to no desire. And unfortunately um, it is permanent for people. And so that's the information that's not being shared is so if you don't feel desire, you're going to have a difficult time with your erection, but also um, we need to also talk about the culprit to um, erectile dysfunction, which is rapid ejaculation. So you know, the, it goes hand in almost here we go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> Rapid ejaculation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You come in quickly and then you lose your erection. And um, and then he's saying I have erectile dysfunction. But then when when we look at it, maybe he has rapid ejaculation and he's rapidly ejaculating because he doesn't have a, a strong relationship with his body or he he's anxious, right? So we gotta look at all those factors. Yeah, I think that's an important one as well, because again, you know, porn can play that part because you see this like penis that's that's really gigantic a lot of the time, stays Mm -hmm. hard constantly and everyone has lots of sex for ages. And, you know, I always Mm -hmm. tell people that's not real. There's all the breaks in between and there may be Viagra Mm -hmm. or other drugs being injected directly into the penis involved Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. things like it's not reflective. So you don't have to have sex for four hours, you know, and then anything less than that. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I come too quick like mm-hmm, I think isn't mm-hmm. the average time some like anywhere between like just a couple of minutes or a couple of not seconds but it's a very mm-hmm. short time that the penis can actually be in action for outside of porn yeah I mean you know in terms of I think also in terms of porn education or sorry penis education we need to take a look at first of all size and um intercourse uh but also as you know even talking about intercourse or how long that's also a misnomer too because you know, um, your grip versus being um, using a fleshlight versus a vagina all feel different. So that's all going to impact how long it takes for a person to ejaculate and to stay hard. So let's do again, a little bit of penis education that, you know, the average size penises uh, are between 5.1 and 5.6 inches. And I think about penises on a bell curve, right? There are those who are um, smaller and those who are larger. Most people who believe that they're smaller are not smaller. They actually are within range. Um, the average size of pornography, penis. I mean, things are changing now, but if we're looking at 
maybe about a decade ago that were looking at, you know, kind of um, two standard deviations larger than the average. So that's around eight inches, which is so rare. You know, it's very, very few people. But again, if you don't, you know, if you don't have or watch pornography with average size penises, you know, someone still might have a penis that is under five inches, like four inches and a little bit. And they're still within range. They're still, you know, it's fine. And And not everyone wants the giant penis either. You know, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I often share with um, men that your length for from the research and data is not what what is the most important for a number of women. It's more, there is some statistics around girth, okay? Uh, but in terms of length, if you're bumping up against the cervix, that's going to be painful, yeah, uncomfortable definitely. for the recipient. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, not, yeah. not everyone mm-hmm. is, you know, there are size queens out there and whatever of all genders. Mm-hmm. But for some people, sure, it's sure. like, it's more about technique and how you use it. Just because you have a big penis doesn't automatically mean you're good yeah. at having sex or good at giving pleasure. It just yeah. means you've got a bit more skin than someone else does. you got to back right. that up with skills. Right. But also that's an assumption that intercourse is what the partner wants. And so there is data and at lots, even lots of anecdotal data as well, that those with what's called a smaller penis or micro penis are just feel just as satisfied using their penis and their partner feels just as satisfied because a, you know, she or he might not be able to take that penis. Um, it's just not their thing, which is okay. And, you know, I, I hear lots of stories about partners who they, they, you know, intercourse isn't paramount and, and that is their best sexual partner because they they exquisitely know how to use their mouth. They know how to use toys. They know how to um, psychologically set up the scene. You know, they're into BDSM, you know, kink. There's so many other kinds of ways you know, if we could think about a pleasure as the measure when it comes to sex, right? And start start thinking about that. You know, if if that's the only thing, you know, if there, if there's a goal, it's just the goal is pleasure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and pleasure comes in so many different forms, and it means so many different things to others, which is why communication is also important. So making sure we're all yeah. on the right page for that. Yeah. Yeah. So can I quickly, just for folks, you know, um, just so they're aware, um, just talk about some of these other risk factors, Sure. Uh, just so folks, you know, can start to put two and two together with them. So if we're talking about physical health, things like we talked about aging, um, there are some, you know, um, illnesses, uh, chronic illness, some injuries that can affect penises. It doesn't mean that it's permanent. It it's often temporary. There's lifestyle. I talked about the, you know, riding a bike or sitting for long periods of time can also affect the the nerves um, that are responsible for penis rigidity because they're located underneath the butt muscles. So those who uh, are um, uh, on bikes for for long periods of time, especially hard, narrow seats, may want to consider or at least knowing that that can be a culprit as well. I'm not saying to those, and it scares some bike riders, I shouldn't wear, you know, ever, you know, be on a bike. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm just saying that if you feel that you experience erectile dysfunction or numbness and tingling, 
that that just because the nerves are kind of being squished right now. So those, that's also um, temporary. Um, de- antidepressants and medication can also impact erections as well. About 10% of people, uh, and if anyone has is on antidepressants or an SSRI, that there are alternatives. Often um, doctors start to move to um, uh, well, butrin, for example, as an as an antidepressant, which tend to have better um, effects um, on or doesn't impact the the erection as, as much, right? So we also talked about alcohol. If you're tired, so if you're sleeping, you haven't had enough sleep. If you're if you have sleep apnea, anything where you feel a bit fatigued is going to impact, you know, even just your vit- sexual vitality. That in and of itself could also um, um, impact erection quality. Um, there are two books that and we talked about, um, yes, um, tobacco, also some diet as well. The other thing I want to talk about with penis, there's also another question is, can I, you know, about penis length, there isn't anything. Um, I just want to name this right now that there is not a supplement that's going to increase your penis size. Oh my God, definitely not. Don't buy no. weird stuff off the internet to don't, try and make don't that do work. It. No. Don't do it. Um, that it's, it's marketing, you know, you're, and if anything, you know, um, yeah, there, yes, there are, there is a surgery that really, you know, um, so people, so the people with penises are aware of the surgery, which is another question. Can I have surgery? No, there isn't penis lengthening surgery. There is some girth, you know, you could increase the girth by taking fat from other parts of the body, but we don't know whether that is permanent or not, because the body can absorb that fat in terms of the girth. There's also what's called a suspensatory ligament above the um, pubic bone that can be um, really snipped, but that doesn't increase the length of your penis nor the hardness of your penis. It just from a visual effect, if you look down, it might look longer, but at the end of the day, when it comes to erection, it's not going to increase the size of your penis. And, and so that's a lot to go through just for a slightly different visual effect as well. Yeah. That's yeah. And one of the biggest things I think is really important for us to talk about is erectile dysfunction and um, heart health. So one of the things that um, an indicator of um, heart disease is erectile dysfunction. Okay. So if you think about cholesterol and um, um, plaque that starts to accumulate in the arteries that, um, and the vessels uh, in the um, penis is at most, or the size, um, like one millimeter versus the heart, which is around five, that of course, if you're going to start to experience um, narrowing of the arteries, the penis is going to go first. Do you know what? I never actually thought about that because all you hear is cholesterol and heart health. You never hear cholesterol and penis health. Like it's just not a thing that you hear. Cholesterol oh. and penis health. Okay. And as soon as he says, my penis isn't functioning the way it is, I will um, ask, I'll go right to lifestyle, go right to diet, talk about cholesterol because that also can be the culprit. And sometimes that's the only culprit. Okay. Which is, but then, you know, um, I mean, there's, there's that, but there's also things like thyroid function as well. You know, if you, if you experience um, hypothyroidism or don't know that you have it, you're going to feel sluggish. You're going to feel things that you just, you're not going to feel yourself, but then you still have this 
expectation for yourself to quote unquote perform, which I don't like using that word that when people talk about, you know, I can't perform. Well, you know, you know, my, my beef is maybe sex shouldn't be a performance period. Right. Exactly, so, exactly. you know, these words that we use are just so powerful in our yeah, brain. So, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, think about that. A diabetes also, you know, um, can impact, um, really the diabetes, um, uh, it, it accelerates, um, the, um, narrowing of the, of the arteries uh, so you want to talk about that as well. Again, it, it, the penis is not just heart, but then I'll ask the client, does your family have a history of diabetes? Okay. And you're not aware that you have diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that too. That's fascinating because again, it, it, this is like, you know, sex gets removed from so much. It's like, you know, all the wellness things. It's like, go take a nap, go walk, go for a walk. And we don't say go mm-hmm. masturbate because we just pretend sex isn't there. But yeah, all yeah. that advice about diabetes and, and cholesterol and stuff, sex and penises are just not mentioned in part of it. So I think, yeah, putting that emphasis on all. sexual wellness is just as important as physical or mental wellness. That's really yeah. important to go back yeah. on that. Wow. And yeah. Carol, let me share something else with you. Given that our culture, you know, is it's really common for our culture to have heart health issues, concerns, heart attacks, um, that men also struggle with the adverse effects of what happens after the heart attack. So there is, for some men that I work with who have erectile dysfunction, that they are, they have erectile dysfunction because they are afraid of having sex because of heart health, heart attack. Okay. So it's almost another vicious cycle there again. Yeah. And so I'm working uh, with um, a a nursing student right now who's completing her master's on this very topic, how nurses who work in um, heart health need to really educate their, you know, clients about sex and erections. Yeah, and it's missing from even the nurses' education that they get as well. So again, vicious circle of education kind of coming around on that aspect. But yeah. um, I suppose to to almost finish on a more more positive note, there is help out there from lovely people mm-hmm. like yourself, and it, it this doesn't have to be a permanent thing in lots and lots and lots of cases it might just be like you're saying more of a physical aspect or more of a mental health aspect and it doesn't mean you're broken or you're any less of a man or there's something wrong with you fundamentally or anything like that so you 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 Mm -hmm. go down the the therapy route as well that that people engage with there so how how does that work Do, do you find that you get a lot of clients who really kind of appreciate that space to open up and talk about it and then have a more positive result mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of things. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think the most, um, one of the more, let's just say, um, things that I preach about the work that I do is that this is an opportunity, even though men come to me um, to speak about their penis troubles, penis woes, including orgasm, uh, whether they're coming too quickly or not at all, or their erection, that they believe they're coming just to talk about treatment and cures. And then we start to really start to talk about it all. And it's often the first, if not the only opportunity for men to share their vulnerabilities and their feelings about their body, 
um, without any judgment from me or criticism, but with a deep compassion and understanding that our toxic masculine world has really messed with men's sexual identity. And when we can put that into perspective and men can start to experience sexual empowerment in a different kind of way that is not rooted in toxic masculinity and patriarchy, but rooted in a deep love and appreciation of the complexities of um, the human existence, that they leave session um, feeling, um, they feel better, they typically feel better, but they have more insight, more education, more awareness, more skills about communication with their partner to express how they're feeling and start to undo this sense of measure that it's about penis size, whether he comes or not, um, whether he has a even pornography, all that shifts for him. And I ask him to pay it forward. So whatever that I share, share with your Share with your, your, your guys, your guy friends, share with your sons, share with, you know, men, because we do need to do more, heck of a lot more positive role modeling to talk about the body and men's identities in a different kind of way. That, that just seems really calming and soothing. And I love that that's out there because, you know, I think men get forgotten about a lot of the time in sex education mm. because we we look at you know the vulva more so than than the penis for a lot of things and different genders as well so i love that you're out there in the world creating that space for people so that's really lovely and and where can people find you if they want to avail of that space or or just sure. you've got loads of information on your website as well which is fantastic yeah you know what i appreciate that and i even though uh, i work with um, mostly individuals are in North America, and that's Canada and the United States, that I do work with individuals all over the world, so long as our time zones, we could just figure out our time zones. I mean, that's really all that I ask for is because, you know, for me, it's not about the money. It's not about, it's really about how can, because I, as you read in my, in my bio, you know, it, for me, this is about education and advocacy more so than anything else. And that's where I get my satisfaction is if we can shift our cultures in a different kind of way to be more sex positive. So if people would like to learn more about, um, I have a blog, um, but also want to reach me for a session or coaching or consultation. My website is reesemalone.com, which is spelled R-E-E-C-E-M-A-L-O-N-E dot com or if folks don't remember uh, google dr reese malone and i i just pop up and you could find me on uh, my website um linkedin uh twitter uh, instagram all the social media that most people are familiar with <laughs> yeah and we'll put a link to your website as well in the show notes as well for those who want to get in touch and i suppose it, it's important i think just to finish up that like just to remind people with this issue that you don't have to suffer in silence and it's not mm. necessarily a permanent thing and there's no shame whatsoever in reaching out for help because you'd get help if you broke your arm, you know, so you can get mm. help if, if something is up with your penis or down with your penis in this case, I suppose. Um, all, all yeah. the puns again. So listen, Reese, thanks Emil for, for chatting to me. You're just fantastic and I just, I love how calm and just warm you are because I think people maybe with this issue or you know quite anxious and, and need that like little mm. bit of space and calmness so I appreciate you doing that and putting that out into the world so thank you my pleasure thank you for having me
Thanks, Amel. And thanks, Amel, to all my listeners. You know, again, um, if you want to reach out to Reese, I'll have the website in the show notes as well. If you want to DM me, it's Glow West Podcast. And if you want to support the podcast, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. And we will see you next week.